0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart & Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over six thousand captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Four black
0: bears with brain inflammation, or encephalitis, have shown up in California's Humboldt County. In 2019, a young bear with an odd head tilt made headlines in social media feeds by approaching people at North Star Ski Area. Seemingly habituated to people, showing no signs of fear, the bear was an Instagram star as he stepped on a kid's snowboard. California Department of Fish and Wildlife captured the bear and eventually moved it to a rehab facility. More recently, another young cub appeared in the Tahoe Basin, again letting people approach, taking food from people's hands, jumping into an open car trunk, and even being pet. This bear appeared underweight and lethargic, Under observation by trained veterinarians, the bear proved to be substantially underweight for a one-year-old, displayed a slight head tilt, and head tremors. Eventually, the decision was made to euthanize the young female. The following necropsy confirmed an inflammation of the brain. Nevada wildlife officials have found cases in that state that match the CDFW bears, leading wildlife officials in both states to ask Is four bears enough to have an outbreak of encephalitis? Why are they contracting encephalitis and, of course, how? Four new viruses that cause brain swelling have been discovered through the necropsies of some of the affected bears. The first bear, the North Star Bear, was eventually placed in a long-term care facility where he requires continued veterinary treatment at the San Diego Humane Society campus and another at the Orange County Zoo. If Yogi approaches you this spring with a slight head tilt in a seemingly casual, maybe friendly manner, stay away. Call your local wildlife division and remember, this is not Disney. It's not normal, not good. It's not the bond you have with, quote, all animals, which may be the number one thing dog bite victims say before they are bit. It's not any of those things, but it may just be encephalitis.
1: See what I mean, boo-boo?
0: This week, we've got Houndsman, Social Media, Call to Action, and the NSW. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is sponsored by the fine folks at Steel Power Equipment. Steel makes a pruning shear that can slice through the cape of a Louisiana boar hog as easily as anything I've ever used. I'm also flying to Tennessee with my electric chainsaw. Throw the batteries in a carry on bag, drain the bar and chain oil, and check the saw until your final destination. Have saw, will travel type of deal. New episode of Cal in the Field coming up on Tuesday. It's the last episode of season two, which is just the week in review, this podcast in visual form. Check that out on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. We'll be featuring Maine Bird Dogs, Woodcock, Grouse, and Brent West of the High Peaks Alliance which is amazing timing because, if you recall, the Meat Eater Land Access Initiative, we wrapped that sucker up last year by directing all of our funds, and by our, I see our funds at Meat Eater, and your funds from everybody who jumped in on auctions and whatnot, to closing the funding gap on Shiloh Pond, a really pretty spot, and up until now, private. Now, however, just now, like last week, Shiloh is officially signed, sealed, delivered, Public land managed by Kingsfield, Maine. There are even funds in place for the future management of the site. Brent West of the High Peaks Alliance started the Shiloh Pond acquisition in 2018, which, as far as the speed of conservation is concerned, is lightning pace to closing. The Trust for Public Lands was also instrumental in structuring the deal and making sure all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. Pretty cool thing. Anyway, Check out the last Cal in the Field episode at the Meat Eater YouTube channel. As for anyone asking about the Louisiana episode, Gallinule, which is that funky marsh hen, and also a rail, is very similar to the coot in the same family. It is very tasty. You don't have to get fancy with it at all. Treat it like chicken, and you'll be very happy. I noticed one person comment on the fact that he'd rather get a limit of 15 Gallinule than a limit of ducks. And if you have an abundant red meat collection in your freezer, this is not a crazy line of thinking. Gallinule is white meat, and again, you can fry it, serve it like chicken, and nobody will be the wiser. Moving on, but sticking with white meat. Idaho houndsmen are baying themselves hoarse over an Idaho Fish and Game announcement stating that mountain lion harvest quotas on female lions in the 31 management units that currently have them will be lifted for, at a minimum, the 2021-22 season. Idaho Fish and Game initially placed quotas in 31 of the 100 management units to prevent over-harvest, particularly in areas with easy access, which typically means lots of roads. The more roads, the more efficient hound hunting is. For example, wilderness areas can have a ton of lions, but you do not see a ton of houndsmen, because you can't rip around in front of your pack of dogs in the uh, truck or ATV. Can't cover as much ground. And areas with large population centers that have that big urban fringe that we're always talking about can create havens for lions. And you don't see a lot of hound hunters running in those areas either, because if you're running hounds after cats through that urban fringe, it's a good way to make the paper and not in a favorable way. So quick recap. If we were to stop this topic here, it would be a great one for the greater media-consuming world, right? There are hunters opposing more hunting opportunities, increased bag limits, so to speak. Right? That's not how it works. You give a hunter more, he's going to take more, right? So, I want you to consider these two quotes from the Eastern Idaho Houndsmen Association. To me, even one year is too long. If I get together with 10 or 15 houndsmen and we went to a game management unit with good access and good snow and we separated out, within just a couple of days we could kill 80 to 90% of the cats up there. The tables can turn so quickly, it's basically declaring all out war on the species, and it just makes no sense to me that Fish and Game wouldn't propose raising the quotas before outright eliminating them. Here's the next one. President of the Eastern Idaho Houndsmen Association, Jesse Van Leuven, described houndsmen as people that utilize hound dogs, including blue tick, redbone, and treeing walker coon hounds to help chase the animals they're hunting. In this case, mountain lions. He added that most houndsmen choose not to harvest or kill the mountain lions they hunt because they are more interested in the sport for the relationship between the hounds and the thrill of the chase. That was taken from JH News. So which is it? We could kill them all, or we really don't kill any. Could it be that the truth lies somewhere in the middle? Right here on this podcast, I've often stated when the subject of hound hunting comes up, their dirty secret, which is hounds people are dog people. They love watching their dogs do the thing that they were born to do, which is strike, track, and tree animals. Look at Meat Eater's own Giannis Patelis and his pound puppy Mingus. They are infected with that hound dog fever. And the only cure is more running, baby. The more cats you kill, the fewer cats you get to run. When quotas are set low, in this case, we're talking about female lion quota, which, let's say, is three in a game management unit. No matter if it's the first day of a 60-day-long season... If three female lions are reported as killed, that whole game management unit is shut down. Not to the running of cats, but to the killing of cats. When you consider the fact that when a cat is perched on a tree limb high above you, you get a pretty good look at its underside. I'm talking about sex organs, kids. There is seldom the circumstance of thinking you are killing a male lion, but you end up with a dead female lion on the ground. A houndsman that is interested in preserving cats near them, let's say for fuel economy purposes, could in theory quickly track and kill the quota of female lions in his game management unit, or in their game management unit rather, and close the kill season. Which is great for cats, great for the person who just wants to run their dogs, but potentially bad for the management of the area. Which is exactly what Idaho Fish and Game is saying. Mule deer predation is up in areas where mule deer and elk have been hit hard by winters. The mule deer and elk populations are having a hard time coming back, so we need to give them a break. People factors, as in tag allocation, has been reduced. Doe tags, both in general pool and youth pools, have been reduced and eliminated in some areas. Now, we need to look at other factors because that's not helping and those other factors are address the other predator populations which leads us to Idaho Fish and Game saying hounds folk need to kill more cats instead of just running them this is a gamble of course Idaho could perceivably see some crazy influx of cat hunters who do in fact kill cats on a routine basis that are let's say coming from out of state right but the reason they haven't shown up prior to this is that before they make that long trek to Idaho from wherever they're coming from, the units get shut down because the quotas have been met. So they're afraid to commit. These folks could show up and kill a whole bunch of cats. And maybe the in-state hound hunters will broaden their friend circles and start taking more folks out that do want to take that delicious pork of the trees home. And it could have a serious effect on cats in the long term. But this is active management. Mule deer opportunity is going down, so we're going to see an increase in mountain lion opportunity as a consequence. If lion kills go up, we hope we see less mule deer mortality. As for the hound hunting opportunity, you can still run bears and bobcats as well as raccoons in Idaho. So there's still something to chase, just not as many mountain lions. Some folks might be uncomfortable with me saying that this is a gamble, but this is wildlife management. And wildlife management includes this crazy variable, which is the human factor. So, like, if we jump way back and we talk about the wolf issue in Wisconsin, right, that was a terrible argument really made on both sides, because it comes down to, like, this idea that game management is a perfect science. There's always room for error. You're dealing with wild animals and wild people. Absolutes happen in a lab. They don't happen in the field. As for me, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens in Idaho. I sure as heck want to come down and run some cats and put some of that meat in the freezer. It's fantastic. Any of you houndsmen down there who need a buddy who want to actually pull the trigger, give me a shout. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's ensuring yourself for your family. So, if something happens to me, and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cow. That's meatfabric.com slash M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cow. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the I really don't want to go here desk,
0: social media. Folks started sending me a black bear attacking a hog video asking, what do you think? We even ran this video on the themeateater.com. My reaction is, yeah, look at that. Without some actual facts, it's just animal fight porn, I guess. It's like a Shark Week trailer that is nothing but Great Whites flipping half eaten seals in the air. Visually, it's something for sure. Power of nature, I guess. But if we don't learn about the Great White, their migrations, the Farallon Islands, what type of seals they're eating, how long a seal can hold its breath, how fast they can go, well, what's the point? By the way, young elephant seals are the most likely to be eaten at the Fairlawn Islands. They can swim from 3 to 6 miles per hour and hold their breath underwater for an astonishing 2 hours! While the great white shark can swim 35 miles per hour, and if I had to guess, they're no good at being out of the water for more than a few minutes and holding their breath is not an actual thing with gills and all. I'm not saying this evens the playing field, but it's great info, right? something to noodle on while you're watching those half-eaten seals get flipped in the air. Anyway, the YouTube video in question, there's a wild hog on the side of the road, likely hit by a car, black bear attempting to drag it up a steep embankment to eat it in peace. Thinking about it, one good takeaway from this video, if that's all you had was just the visual, would be that this is what bear behavior is like, minus encephalitis, or swelling of the brain. Remember that, you Tahoe Basin bear watchers. All the bear facts presented here are from Outdoor Alabama, Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Aside from this one, did you know that back in 2006, Governor Bob Riley signed a law making the black bear the official state animal of Alabama? The current estimated black bear population in the state is under 500 bears, making it an animal of concern. Historically, Alabama's black bears were found in every county but due to habitat loss and unregulated hunting, the only modern reproducing population was found in Mobile County, but has now expanded to encompass neighboring counties in the southern portion of the state. This population comprises a single recognized subspecies, the Florida black bear, Ursus americanus floridanus. In recent years, black bears from Georgia, which are Ursus americanus americanus, the American black bear, have been walking themselves across the border from northwest Georgia into northeastern Alabama. If Alabama ever were to open a black bear hunting season, a hunter could conceivably get two different subspecies of black bear without leaving the state, which is pretty cool. Specifically, regarding this bear-pig encounter, Alabama black bears are omnivores, just like anywhere else, but according to the former Alabama Large Carnivore Coordinator Thomas Harms, Alabama bears have a 94% vegetarian diet. I've also seen this printed as, for sure, over 80% vegetarian diet. So take it with a grain of salt. They are also smaller than bears found in many other states. Females average between 130 and 150 pounds, and males may get as large as the 300-pound mark. When you consider the video that we are discussing here, Bear Attacking Hog!, You have to consider the fact wild hogs have routinely been killed in Alabama that far outweigh the largest of the state's black bears. You may remember the legend of Hogzilla, the controversial 1,051-pound boar killed by a 7-year-old in 2007? Well, that's an Alabama legend. If you do not remember that one, that's fine. A less controversial but still incredibly large boar was killed by a Mr. Seago. With a 38 caliber revolver, as he stood on his front porch on a night in 2017, that hog weighed in at a vetted 820 pounds, plus the three rounds from his 38, taking in some uh, reason for error that's like two adult male black bears, meaning that this roadside encounter with a pig which oddly enough we call invasive, but has been continuously in the state of Alabama nearly as long as the black bear and in much higher numbers, was a statistically rare event. Side note, old uh, DeSoto dropped hogs in Florida in 1539. Okay, that's where I'm getting that. The bear in the video is almost certainly a mature boar based on size and its blatant aggressive behavior. Sows, especially in the spring, can be plenty aggressive, But considering the time of year, the size of sows in the state of Alabama, and the size of the pig in this video, as well as the fact that, in my experience, sows with cubs are not typically going to publicly expose cubs to this type of commotion, as it can bring in other big boars that could eat those cubs, my money is that the bear on this video is a boar bear. It's got a pretty good noggin on it, too. Further, when you consider that this, quote, attack was documented via shaky cell phone footage complete with color commentary, and that it occurred in Satsuma, Alabama, which is part of the southeast Florida black bear population, it is no surprise that this is a Florida bear. certainly explains that statistically strange behavior. Spring break was last week, buddy. Not the last adventure of Florida bear we'll see. (laughs) Moving on to the International Desk, all the way to New South Wales. If you are currently stateside but want to maybe have an interesting retirement, consider New South Wales or the NSW. Intense rains hammered the NSW coastline causing massive flooding the other week. As human residents moved to escape the flood, so did millions of spiders, skinks, crickets, snakes, anything that lives on the ground. Those ground-dwelling animals took refuge on anything standing clear of the water, including fence lines, houses, and people. Any port in a storm, as they say. If you recall, New South Wales was largely on fire from 2019 to 2020. The water is a bit late for that, as over 46 million acres burned during that time. If all that wasn't enough, I have failed in past podcasts to cover the mouse plague, if you want to look up some videos way more impressive than a bear dragging a pig, look up mouse plague videos. That will impress you and get your skin crawling at the same time. To further set the tone, here's a quote for you. At least three people have been bitten in hospitals while being treated for non-mouse-related issues. Kind of a thinker. One farmer reported killing on average 100 mice per day inside the home. I want to go back to that. Okay, 100 mice per day inside your house. We've all run some mouse trap lines in our day, right? 100 is a lot. But killing mice isn't the real nasty business. Sheds full of hay have been lost. Total crop loss in the field has been documented. And once crops are harvested, due to infestation of both mice and feces, they cannot be sold. Well, you might be thinking this torrential rain could help with mice but the NSW is a big place and the storm water is not evenly dispersed throughout. It is helping in some areas with the mouse plague, but it is also pushing a lot more mice into homes and vehicles and others. Although this sounds bizarre, this is a natural occurrence in the NSW and can occur every 10 years. In this instance, a long dry spell followed by good rain meant good crops, which means lots of food and the mice that had not been reproducing at full capacity went into super breeding mode. That's a litter of 6 to 10 pups every 19 to 21 days. One estimate at one farm figured two mice per square meter inside their crop paddocks for a total of 20 million mice. That's one farm. Big one, but one farm. So like I say, if you believe variety is the spice of life, something new every day in the NSW. For those of you listening that are current residents, kill the mice. They'll die anyway. Be careful with the spiders. They have a good role to play in your future when the fires and the floods and the mouse plagues, you know, figure themselves out.
1: Now, what are fires before or after the earthquake?
0: They were after the earthquake, I remember. But before the flood, All I can... we need now is a plague of locusts. <whistles> ah! Good luck to you down there, and thanks for listening got one more for you on the Australia desk, which is kind of a fun one. A new species of climbing kangaroo has been discovered. This is fossilized, keep in mind. It's not like it just showed up somewhere in between the floods and the plagues. The recent find indicates that the tree climbing ability of kangaroos and wallabies evolved more than once throughout Australia's history. Additionally, these specialized climbing kangaroo fossils with longer necks for browsing branches, longer arms, and claws for holding and climbing come from a completely treeless area of Australia. Proofs in the dirt, so to speak. <laughs> Moving on, quick call to action for you Texicans or folks who like to visit East Texas. If you're listening to this on April 4th, which is the day this releases, you have a tiny window to go to this link and comment and ask for a little more time in a public meeting on behalf of the citizens of Mineola, Texas, and the Mineola Nature Preserve. It's not a big ask. This is the Texas Center for Environmental Quality, which is www 14tceqtexasgovernor forward slash epic forward slash e-comment. So here's the deal. There's a, a concrete batch plant in the works down there probably some good jobs with it too. However, the project may have some underlying effects on neighbors, visitors, and citizens of Mineola, the Mineola Nature Preserve, the Derby Equestrian Ground, and others in the path of prevailing winds in and around the proposed site of this concrete batch plant. What they're asking for is a public comment period and this to be considered, which seems very fair to me. If any bored anthropologist wants to do any testing on my old bones, you know, at some point in the distant future, they will likely find a good mix of leftover construction materials, including concrete dust. East Texas has a lot of great stuff and great people, but it does not have a lot of public places for wildlife. If you are getting this on Sunday, stop what you're doing and write in www.tceq.texas.gov forward slash epic forward slash e-comment ask that they consider this before moving along with the permitting of their concrete batch plant. Moving on. When bees are on the move, be sure to keep your car windows closed. Las Cruces, New Mexico. Quick stop for groceries was all it took for a swarm of bees, estimated at 15,000 individuals to stake claim to a man's rear car seat. The best part is, he must have been so fixated on what was for dinner that he actually made it down the street before noticing the swarm of bees in his back seat. How that works, I don't know either. It was, however, the driver's lucky day as an off-duty Las Cruces firefighter is also an amateur beekeeper They showed up with the equipment necessary to transport a hive on the move and the uh, firefighter got to claim the bees, which makes me wonder if the grocery shopper and driver got paid. Or did they just call it even Steven? Bees are worth some cash, you know. I mean, that's the buzz on the streets anyway. Next up, capuchin monkeys are not native to the U.S. And if you have ever seen the movie Outbreak, kind of freaky in their cuddliness, like they're hiding something. Anyway, a released or escaped capuchin ended up on a backyard porch in Kentucky where exactly like the movie Outbreak, which was a really great Dustin Hoffman performance, I thought, the monkey was slowly coaxed into the grasp of Kentucky wildlife and taken to a care facility where the original Mutaba strain of Ebola was extracted. Which is a joke. The reality is something much worse. It's just flat out illegal to privately own, quote, inherently dangerous animals, which the sneaky little capuchin is classified as in Kentucky. The age of that monkey was one year old. This captive capuchin will now remain locked up and paid for by the state of Kentucky for possibly as long as 44 more years, which is the max captive life expectancy of capuchins. In the wild, they have a life expectancy of 15 to 25 years. Odds are, the person who let it go read the same Wikipedia article I did and thought, my God, I'm not that committed to being a monkey owner. Which is exactly what you should be thinking, and the conclusion you should come to, but the order should be reversed. Have these thoughts, but don't already be in possession of a monkey. Or, maybe, start small, with an ad out of a comic book. Sea monkeys. Remember those? Those are more your style. Whole aquarium full of life, for a couple of bucks, plus shipping and handling. Then maybe graduate to a goldfish, then maybe an older, like, retiree-type dog from the pound. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. If you are loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. And most importantly, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait
1: for engine problems.
0: Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer, simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.